We're joining you here with the Arena Super Cup champion. Oh God. Car Young Tom. Called his shot in our last episode. Um, and now he's just drinking some, some coffee instead of humble tea. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. I thank you uh, for having me on your show. Um, I, I gotta mention, this, these coffees are, are brought to you by, I mean, they remain anonymous, but uh, I'm just gonna out them anyway. By your parents, <laughs> these coffees. <laughs> <laughs> sweet coffee, sweet mocha from Avenue G here. Um, yeah, what two of your biggest supporters? Sweet, my parents. Two, two of your biggest, my biggest supporters, <laughs> and uh, obviously supporters yeah. of you as well. Um, yeah, they both actually listen to the podcast, so apparently we have enough non-magic content for it to be worthwhile. Some, so some people have listened. Like, I've I've been keeping Alex up to date on who's been shipping us some Kofi Ko dash Fi slash table for two, uh, Lord Frezen or Lord Freezone, who's been a supporter of the of both of us. I think over the years, and, and he's been a supporter of the A-Team, and Medina decided to ship us a coffee as well, so... Well, shout out to you guys. Yeah, so we're, we're having this sweet, sweet mocha, large mocha. It's not that um, sweet. If you want some more sugar, <laughs> go ahead. But I thought you were counting calories. So. And, uh, and and as we said, like, people have been using Patreon uh, for... All, every, every podcast has been using Patreon, but I think like for, for us, for now, we're not doing any extra perks outside of no. the show so do i have a bunch of videos of you in compromising scenarios you know we could we could release those for certain you know like the, the one of you cleaning my, the seat for, for <laughs> i'm not nothing uh nothing everything's pg just you know slightly embarrassing scenarios for kyt so, so shipping us a, a coffee is like it's like it's just perfect and like i said if, if you guys want to do something else like Tweet up KYT's rent or something, you know, he, he could really use it. So. Yeah, I, I could really use it, but <laughs> tweet, tweet, or, or just tell any random someone about our show, that'd be great. Like David Rude, uh, Pro Tour Champion, just said that yeah. we are the best new podcast. And then uh, Mark Blewett also described why he loved the show because he didn't know that you were such a funny guy. And I, I hope he me credits neither, me. actually, so. <laughs> he credits me for bringing that out. Um, from you and well you such so a great laugh right so <laughs> it's just it's the reward for saying something funny and making you laugh are just very high um, okay let's let's just get to it uh, the arena super cup I've talked about sort of a bit white weenie um, did you win I won did you say you were gonna win I, I did say I was gonna win did you have fun I had lots of fun all right great okay now moving on <laughs> <laughs> don't want to associate the I'm not going to repeat stuff I said on on first strike. So, for for more about the deck or or how I felt about the tournament, but but to be brief, I thought it was a lot of fun. And it's not just because I won. Um, I, I now that I have the feeling of playing an arena tournament, I want to ask you, someone like who didn't go all the way but had the experience. So so we know that you're not biased um, by by the winning. For me, like the experience was, was awesome. Just. At the end of it, I was actually touching my back because I thought I lost my deck. I actually oh, was yeah. not used to it. And But the fact that no dice, no counters, no pen, um, you know the opponent is, I mean, unless they have some kind of god account that can see my cards, it's not cheating. Yeah. Um, oh, it's great. Rounds are much faster. It's like, and I never I'm, thought that was yeah. possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to Vegas next week for the Mythic Championship 3. And uh, you know, which is an arena tournament, and it's high stakes. And I just am relatively relaxed compared to if it was a paper tournament. I'd be stressing out about how to get my last cards, making sure I have everything, you know, making sure that uh, my sleeves are not marked, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
you know, and, and, yeah, not having dice paper and you know, there's all these things that you have to keep track of, and Arena does for you. So it's it's really nice. Arena, I think, is is a great product, and I I talk critically about Wizards a lot, but credit where credit is due, they I think they knocked it out of the park with with Arena. I didn't think it was going to be this good. And it's not like some, someone can't even hack into your account and steal all your cards. Uh, like you can't lose them, as far as I know. Yeah, so. they're, they're not tradable. They're not they're not dustable or whatever. You know, they just have them. They're yours. So you don't have someone that like right before you read the tournament, you open your account, you're like, oh crap, it's like all gone. I yeah. don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, well, I mean, the worst thing that somebody could do if they have access to your arena account is change the password and they could use all your wild cards and change them into garbage. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a funny, funny uh, prank. No, that a little, little, I don't know. What are, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, if you're playing your deck, you already have made all the wild cards you need for it. So, yeah. That's true, that's true. Well, well, actually, I had to submit my deck on Friday, and I did some grinding uh, on Saturday to make sure yeah, I had all I the thought, cards. I thought you were going to be playing, you know, Bant, uh, Bant Ramp, but I guess it was too hard to get that deck on Arena, so you just got White Weenie instead? No, no. Wild cards? No, I got, I got both. I ended up getting both. Uh, so no, I, I ended, up, ended up getting Bant after, but it was just after talking to you and, and saying... You know, I just didn't couldn't figure out the right 75, and even fan of this show, Ari Lax, had you know, what he thinks is like the starting point of the best version. I'm not really convinced because um, we have harped and harped and harped. It, it was great to see him um, say the same conclusions as us because I respect him and said he was my one of my favorite content producers. But how Nissa is really important. But you know, when you have Grazer and you don't have Nissa, it's still hard. And his list cut incubation druids. It's still hard to cast mass manipulations. So um, it's just hard to figure out that configuration. And because incubation druid, I loved it in I loved it in the versions I played with it. But it also was bad against mono red when when they had the removal lined up to kill it. And yeah, you, you have a hand stranded with cards you can't cast. So I think that's still a puzzle that. That is tough to crack. Of course, turn three Nissa is awesome, but um, right. Yeah. What, what does the deck do when it doesn't have Nissa? Right. Like I think it is the best deck with Nissa in the format right now. But you just don't always draw the, your Nissa, and the deck can have a bunch of ramp creatures without the big payoffs. Can have a bunch of big payoffs without the ramp creatures. The classic ramp problem, right? But you know, Nissa is also kind of a big thing and a, and a ramp enabler as well at the same time so it's even more important to draw it I think yeah some games I just lose because they like they steal my Nyssa and they're able to Hydra Crisis like without Nyssa being there like Hydra Crisis I can deal with a 2 power 3 power but then like if they cast a huge one it's like so backbreaking. and so I don't know I, I don't know I, I decided to just go with White Winnie because Jerry thought it was under the radar and people were tweeting that that it was a deck that people were potentially sleeping on, helped a lot of people get to, to Mythic, and and it's relatively quick and easy, right? You get to play, don't have to grind out long rounds where you know you get fatigued, right? And uh, and nice proactive deck so that you know you can beat the crap out of people if they stumble, right? It, it goes back to a few episodes ago where, where I talked about I didn't really want to play Dreadhorde for more than three rounds. It was very tiring. Yes, yeah. I finished matches super early. They wanted to cover me for a backup feature match at one point, but I finished before the main, like, and they were surprised because 
like we didn't start at the same time. They, they deliberately had me start later. I still finished oh, wow. before uh, Sidonia's uh, Batman manipulation uh, match, and so so there was that. It was good, and but I think it it just still continues to the whole Nissa, the whole initiative thing about how important it is to, to play first because I, I was first after Swiss and I won every game one in top eight, which gave me a huge edge to close the tournament. Right. Um, but but actually here, this is the topic I want to talk about where when we evaluate careers like in Hall of Fame, um, there, there's like a debate of whether we overvaluate top 16 and top eight. And my question to you is, as someone that definitely has nerves, um, I think it is a tournament I'm pretty sure you could, but it doesn't affect everyone the same way. Maybe not you in, in, at the peak of your powers, uh, but like round one and the final game affects different people different ways. Like Oh, absolutely, yeah. Some people are way more relaxed in general for round one, right? I think a lot of it is that people aren't necessarily that good at focus. That's a strength I think I've mentioned before that I have. And, you know, like, I... When I play Magic, I kind of try and leave the rest of the world behind, which includes like the, the structure of the tournament. Like you know, I think you're you're losing a huge amount of equity. If part of your brain is thinking, if I win this round, I can draw into top eight. If I win this round, I'll win the whole event, and I'll win. If I win this much money, I this you know, yeah. I'll lock up this status or whatever. <laughs> you know, you don't. If you're thinking about that, you're not thinking about the game. And uh, it's. So like when I, for instance, when I won Barcelona, it still it took me like a little while to like switch off of like hyper focused play mode and realize that hey, I just won this tournament. Like, which is I think a lot of people do, which is why like there's the criticism of oh, people win a big tournament and then they like unsideboard their deck. You know, it's like why, what, what? You don't just take a moment to celebrate. It's like it's because you're just like kind of in the zone. You're just thinking about that, and if you're in that zone, you're you just play around playing round one or playing the finals. It's not that different, but it's it's something like you know people talk about act like you've been there before, and it's a little bit like that. Like you know, if this is your first PTQ top eight or something or MCQ top eight, I should say, then you're gonna na naturally be more stressed out than someone who's been there twenty times, right? It's maybe the person who's been there twenty times and has always lost immediately in the top eight is gonna feel more stressed. Shout out to Doug Potter, but uh, I think. That like you you normally ha having experienced that situation and be more comfortable there, it makes it it makes it easier. But I think maybe it's good easy for you. A lot of people it's, it's like extremely hard to do that. So oh yeah. The, the, so when you look at someone's resume, let's say like you can say top sixteen, top eight might be, or you know top thirty two, whatever. They maybe they they could be interchangeable, but. The, I don't know how you see it a win because super small sample usually like one one person with a but it also at the same time says something to me that they were able to not they were able to close and not buckle down the pressure. Yeah, um, I mean also every tournament there's just one winner, right? One person walks away with the trophy, and like in Magic we understand there's variance, and so usually we value top eights instead of winning but that's a relatively unusual thing compared to others other games right like oh they you know nobody else talks about top eights you know in chess tournament I, I, i've never been like oh yeah i made the top eight of this chess tournament no i won or i failed you know but, but that was it like you know the closest i have i came like seventh in the north american chess championship one year or whatever you know but i don't say top eight 
Though, of course, now that I'm a Magic player, I probably should. Call, it's called that. It sounds better. But, <laughs> but like, the, it's partly to do with the structure, right? That you play a whole bunch of rounds and can have varying records. Like, at a Mythic Championship, you can have three losses and a draw often, or sometimes even four losses when you're, when you're making top eight. And then one more loss is kind of the only differential between you and the person who won, potentially. But I think there is something to be said about closing, and the mindset there is important, and I think also the quality of opponent you normally place, face in the top eight is higher. Uh, and I think those are all factors. Also, open deck lists is, is often a big factor. In many, many tournaments in the Swiss, you have no idea what your opponent's playing. Specific, even if they, you know, you know they're playing Just Guy Control, let's say, you don't actually know their exact list. But in the top eight, you will often know their exact list. I think that favors some people over others to a certain extent. Oh, how does the uh, how did, how did the arena championship work, and how will it work for this one? It's going to be open deck lists throughout the whole tournament. Yeah. Okay. Sa same as the the arena super cup I won, which was interesting. As opposed to a different arena super cup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a. Arena Super Cup of Coffee right here. <laughs> Sponsored by KYT. I mean, shout-outs shout to uh, Grumpy Programmer, who uh, direct messaged me and called it, you know, KYT's, now that KYT's won a glorified FNM, he's like, well, X. Um, we were joking about something else that, that doesn't make sense in the context. Like, I can't really say what he, the rest of his sentence, but he just basically called it glorified FNM. And, you know, I'm not... Uh... No, I'm allowed to play in FNMs. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have been allowed to play that. It, it is a pretty cool event, I think. I like the idea, and I hope that it grows more in the future. I guess you're invited to the next one now as a champion. Right, if, if it keeps uh, being live. Um... Totally, from what I know, just totally reliant on, on sponsors willing to, to front these these prizes. Um, to have any prizes at all, uh, they have to basically believe either that you know, that they're doing something that will, I guess, for, for the goodness of the community and the, the exposure they get via stream. Um, it is interesting because like... Pascal's into Oblivion site before Man of Pride, he made it French only. Um, and that definitely caps your audience to a certain extent. And uh, that's why I'm curious and, and hopeful it's, it succeeds because when after I won, I checked the stream, I was interviewed and I was has access to the stream numbers and 560-ish people, which is way more than, than I thought would watch on a Sunday when there's other events going on, so... Yeah, well, I had it open on my phone and on my iPad, so <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was trying to give you as much exposure as possible, you know. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, there's going to be more and more tournaments like this, right? We've already talked. There's been the, the Twitch Rivals thing. There's the uh, Fandom Legends tournaments. You know, I think one that's happening right now. And uh, there's, the, of course, the big thing, the Red Bull tournaments that people finally gotten replies on when, whether they're admitted and it's coming up soon and you're gonna hopefully see more and more of this stuff right like just like the SEG circuit you know there's all wizards themselves don't have to be the, the only tournament circuit that exists it just so happens that you know they run a tournament circuit and it's the the one that is the most international and with the most money in it so that's where the top players gravitate to 
but in their minds, I'm sure if, if other people ran everything, if the Star, Star City could take up what they've been doing and just run it, they prefer that because you know they pour tons of money into this, and if somebody else can run it without losing money, it's a win-win. Yeah. I, so Red Bull is doing this tournament, and people are they play, playing for free? Yeah, it's free to enter. There's four separate tournaments, two online, two in person. And then, like, the top two from each of those events gets to qualify for, I think, a top eight of an in-person event. And uh, there's a pretty reasonable amount of money, I think. There's, like, altogether between those four events and the top eight of the other thing, there's $200,000 in prizes. Wow. For free entries, so... It's pretty good. You know, there's... Altogether, going to be like a, about a thousand people playing, so two hundred dollars EV. That's going to be streamed, I imagine. And oh yeah, definitely. I mean, they're not going to run a tournament like this and not show it off. And hopefully, they get you know good casters and stuff. It could be could be sweet. I'm I'm excited. Red Bull's a, a big player. Yeah, and okay, we can't talk about it without. Uh, the whole controversy of we're gonna to have to touch on this at least a bit which is like people had to apply uh for this red bull tournament and that in the application you actually had to type in the the amount of twitch viewers that you had um so they so i mean it's been no secret uh, even to watsi like the your twitch following your twitch brand is important to to them or to people um in the selection process and uh, for red bull but I think they also, it seemed like they, they picked more people from from Europe or that were in the area. I yeah, felt. I, th- I, think, I think they were very transparent with how they were going to pick people. They had a list, they said, this is how many slots are going to go to this, this, how many of this, and then the rest is just other, and the other is just a random draw, I guess, which is actually fair if you're just getting picked randomly, if you don't fit any of the other characteristics. Um, and, you know, one of the, the groups they had was people with Twitch viewership, I, I, I forget whether it was I think it was followers over 10,000 and that's a reasonably high bar I think that, like, you know it's not it's not impossible to, to get, but it's it's a good amount of followers, so you know, the people people who are, who are going to have more people watching them, they get priority that makes some sense to me I mean, the way that things are going in Magic you can just, if you just, you know, paying attention to the tide for better or worse, you know, being a, a Twitch streamer and have bringing a bunch of eyeballs to the game is helps your chances in playing professional Magic enormously. Like you look at the the 16 invites for the uh, the upcoming Arena Mythic Championship in Vegas, and the these 16 discretionary invites from Watsi. You check out all, all their 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 usernames on Twitter. Only two of the 16 don't have a Twitch link attached. So, it's, you know, it, it definitely helps you. And if, if that's the way the magic is moving forward and you want to be playing, like, professional magic, you've got to be streaming. Now, is that something that's a good thing or a bad thing? Well, Wizards seem to think that it's a good thing for them. Uh, I know that, like, if I was a... Like, me from when I was starting to just think about going pro... I, I simply wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, if I hadn't seen kind of the stepping stones that exist, like the pro system, which back then was different. They had level levels, like level one through eight, instead of 
bronze, silver, gold, platinum. Um, but it was it was something that I could aspire to watching the pros and like, look, these players are here because they're the best. If you're the best too, you get to go and play in these cool tournaments around the world with other great players. And all that matters is that you crush it at Magic. And that was pretty inspirational. And I know that, you know, I probably, in my life, I've probably spent like $20,000 on Magic cards. You know, obviously for the last while it's been like a, a business expense that I just have to spend money to be able to play in these tournaments but I know that if this didn't exist I would have definitely not I spent under a thousand dollars on magic I wouldn't I probably wouldn't be playing magic now if, if the competitive structure that's been in place for a long time hadn't been there and I can't imagine them the only one that for every person like me who's actually made it to the pro scene how many are you think who tried just as hard but didn't actually make it who spent as much money who decided that this was what they going to invest their time and energy into and you know I think you're they're losing a lot of those people and I don't know how you know they've balanced losing those people versus getting new eyeballs of people who love watching on Twitch and are you know playing arena and, and getting involved that way but I think there are potential downfalls down the road where, you know, fewer and fewer people are buying all these tier one standard decks because why why bother? You can first of all just, you know, play something on Arena and grind it out or, you know, just stream a bunch. You don't, you don't, it doesn't necessarily matter that you have the best deck and win a tournament. And those people not buying those tier one standard decks the card prices for those cards goes down casuals don't buy as many packs because the the value of the pulls aren't as high and you know at the at the bottom just kind of less and less money comes in and a lot of people go out and I you know I'm not an expert in, in this stuff but it just it it seems to me that we're a lot of a lot of future gains and stability of the of of like these whales right in the in the magic gaming scene are being destabilized by the attempt to get all these new customers i guess the gamble is that they they hope that a lot of the truly entrenched players are going to stick around even even if they get rid of the aspirational element of the pro tour but i don't know that that's true yeah I don't know what your take is on it. Would you, you cut because you kind of came in more of the influencer side of things, right? You would always play competitively, but you, you really did like push, you know, content in Canada, and <laughs> and you would you'd make videos and and you don't think you thought, really would stream, but you'd be doing videos and podcasts for a long time. And I think if you know you came in now, you know, like whatever twenty five year old KYT came in now and was like oh, this is cool, you would be making YouTube videos and streaming or something instead of maybe pushing the competitive side as much. And maybe it would be work out better for you. You might be a more valuable person than me for, for Wizards. But. Oh, I, I, get, I, I get trolled by uh, Kyle Duncan, who I feel like has seen me play back in the day, but made jokes like, hey, KYT plays type thing. And, uh, a lot of people make those jokes, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, well, you know me, like... You know my background in chess, um, so I come from something like that where I had aspirations of becoming world champion at some point as a little kid, and then seeing how 
reality was, you decided really? against it, yeah. Yeah, I decided against it. And then, <laughs> I beat you so bad as a little kid in chess. You're like, wow, this kid who's so much younger than me beats me so bad, I can't actually be world champ. <laughs> so, so Magic really came from a competitive side as well, but I felt, um, I don't know, I just, because I started different blogs before, and trying to... I'm just a content creator, period. Just like trying to create content, and then heroes um, on the grind. Stumbled upon why not magic, and I felt magic was. So I was in a in a weird spot where I felt like even if I did well in any tournament, like no one cared because there was no at that time. Like people can't imagine, but at that time there was just not no websites covering it. Uh, and in the last episode, I was like I was looking for the uh, chess mate. No, what was it scholars mate? Oh yeah, book. I, I was trying to replicate that. I was trying to be the person that highlighted people because then it would matter more to me to to rise up the ranks. So, like I just wanted um, recognition for for my skills if I ever achieved that. So, um, but but this stuff like the encouraging streamers puts me in a weird spot because I don't think I'm a and I've never been a talented um, whether it be podcast or video like I'll be honest I'll be frank like in the A team I was not the main reason people listen I'm like the the chemistry guy and and you could argue that maybe it takes a special talent to, to tie all these talents but people were listening for Jay Scott uh, Jesse Medina over the years they were like the biology physics math guys <laughs> you were the chemistry guy <laughs> and so Maybe streaming was big. Well, like to me, it's like I'm I'm doing all this other content. Whether it was edit people's articles, uh, edit people's videos, putting podcasts out. I'm not the streaming type. I know that even if I started when uh, Kenji did New Montanami, you know, I'm not the type to be like new subscriber going crazy <laughs> and wee wee <laughs> or. Uh, Yelling out five repeatedly as a person, as the five, opponent, five, yeah, five, yeah, five. yeah, contemplates one to five. That's not me, so it's like it doesn't play to my strength. So I'm not sure if it would have encouraged me uh, either because um, it's all this other stuff that gave me recognition. Like, so, like, and Red Bull, they just cared about Twitch followers, not Twitter followers. And I mean, yeah. I. I have way more Twitter followers than a lot of people who got invited, but that's not what they want. The, that other stuff, it's, it's, you know, how many people can you get people to watch you stream specifically? And while people love me and like me, they, my fans don't necessarily want to see me stream. They want me to do the content that I'm good at. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world we're, we're entering into. And, you know, people talk about it not being merit-based. It is merit-based. It's just a different type of merit than it, than it was, right? And it's one that I personally am less interested in. For me, the journey of magic was all about, like, that, that elusive search for perfection. You know, you can, you can never actually play perfectly, but you can try. You get a little bit closer every time, and it's kind of... In some ways, it can be a solitary process because you're working on yourself, but realistically, you had to get help from other people and you kind of all pushed each other upwards and got better together and learned from people and I really enjoyed that whereas streaming like I like it a lot more than I thought I would but I never was into digital magic as much as I was into paper magic and like interacting with active people and talking to them and understanding like how they think and how you know I can take elements of their game and incorporate it into mine 
Um, and I just don't. I just don't think I would have gotten into magic as much if I was a kid getting in now, without seeing you know a, a road for me to get to be a PT champion, because you know that was that was the dream that I actually managed to like achieve from from like eighteen year old me, you know, and. Now you know you're being told that you need to stream 40 hours a week or something. That's not a realistic avenue for a lot of people. You haven't played in, in one worlds, right? At least one, or you can play multiple. I played multiple of the yeah. new new style worlds. Yeah. You, yeah, you had that chance, that dream of mine also to be, to be the be world, world champion. champion to yeah. be the world champion. Yeah. It was within reach. Well within reach. Yeah. I mean, I might, I might get to I might get to play worlds this year. Knock on wood. That would, that would be nice. <laughs> if the cutoff was right now, I would make it. So. We'll, we'll see. I have to, still have to put up some more results, but to uh, to comment on just something you said, I I, I am curious, and, and we'll never know, but I'm just curious the the calculations they're they're making behind the scenes to be like, okay, you know, because clearly someone thinks this is better for them overall in the future, in that like short term and in the future, someone's made the calculations. So I, I'd be curious to to know. And but then we're we're seeing a lot of people, and probably you would think the same way. People tweet out like. Yeah, but like, why? It doesn't seem like it would be that expensive. Or they didn't. They could do both. They could get new players and keep the aspirational, competitive aspect of it. So, I mean, you could always say you can do both. But like, when you go to a restaurant and your your tab dote comes with either soup or salad, you can't have both. You got to make a decision. You know, sure, you can pay extra to have both. That's that's an option. But then you're paying extra, right? And it's kind of the same thing here that there's only so many dollars that they have to spend in their budget they could spend more money sure but you know everybody's like oh they make so much money they can spend more well they're a company they, the whole point of them is to make profit right and to give that profit to shareholders they don't the, the goal like if they're doing their jobs right they're spending as little money as possible to get whatever X effect you know of increasing people playing and watching and community access and so on so Doing both the, the like aspirational like mer- like a s- magic skill based ascent as well as the influencer you know esports and iSports is a a great thread by uh, Ben Swartz on uh, on Twitter went into I think I think it's difficult to, to stretch themselves in both ways um, I mean when they announced this year at the beginning it sounded like that's they were going to do a little bit of both like the invitational was going to be the iSports and then all the mythic championships and the MPL were going to be eSports but it seems like they've changed their mind on that and that you know they have more data than I do and they also have pressures that I don't my my goal is to try and do as well as I can for myself an individual and I hope that like Magic the Game continues on but I'm not too concerned with maximizing Hasbro profits I'd much rather have a good community where everybody's playing magic having a good time and feeling rewarded for the energy they put in and it, it feels like often often when we don't feel rewarded for the energy we put in a lot of people feel frustrated and you know I got into the MPL and that was very fortunate of me like I think that I'm a pretty reasonable person to be in the MPL based off of how I've done over my Magic career. I think more years than not I would have been in it if they made the cutoff. But the changes they've made show that you know maybe it wasn't just all skill-based. They can they can they had other characteristics of how they would invite people to. By those I could definitely have missed. Uh, and 
you know, certainly if I was on the outside looking in, I'd be even more frustrated, you know, if, if I was ranked number 35 or something and, you know, basically had no idea how I'm qualifying for anything. This, this upcoming Arena Mythic Championship I'm not qualified for. They announced a bunch of pro tours that they ended up not having. And, yeah, I can... People who made plans and loved grinding GPs to try and get silver and qualify for a PT or two every year, like their lifestyle, you know, that's that's basically gone at the moment, right? There's, there's no idea of, of continuing that that's being, being valuable and GP attendance has has suffered as a response. I, I just really hope that they do know what they're doing because from my position on the outside, it looks bad and like, you know, it's it's very easy to criticize Watsi, but I I'm now in a position where I get to talk to these people a lot, and you know they all want they all want good things for Magic. They all are trying their best, you know. So whatever happens, I don't I don't feel there's any malice there or anything, but it's just a scary time, and I don't know if I'm you know I don't know if I'm gonna have a job next year. And that's not a not a great spot to be in because instead of being able to just focus all my energy on magic, I have to spend a certain amount at least of my mental energy is spent thinking of backdoors and what I what I'm gonna do next if they decide that, you know, they're gonna hand out all the money to just influencers and that I'm not big enough time for that. Yeah, I really liked uh, Ben Schwartz's uh uh, Twitter thread just because he has he has more experience than me at, at how different games have, have approached it. This what's interesting is like the, the game that we both started playing with. They only recently got into streaming like last year. Uh, Chess.com only really started uh, becoming big. Uh, Hikaru uh, Nakamura Nakamura only recently decided to be like. You know, a full-time streamer. Full-time streamer. I think he's aided by the fact that Chess.com added Puzzle Rush, which is a, a great stream or, or even video type thing to do. Oh, it's kind of like the arena of chess in some ways, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, simple, visually appealing, quick, but low like barrier to entry. The oldest game, and it didn't. Well, it never jumped really on Twitch. Like you would have to have some people. Um, like they would have the official stream that I don't know. If you have to pay to access to it or something. Oh, for worlds, yeah, it was, yeah, it, yeah. It's well, it's way more easy to watch now. And I think a lot of it is they didn't think it was worth the effort because chess is, as much as people talk about Magic being a boring and complex game to like watch and understand, chess is way more so. Like the rules are simpler, but it's still you could look at a position and you know even I and I'm very good at chess can look at a position and be, not really know what's going on like I don't know what move they're supposed to make and they make a move and I'm like whoa why did they do that and the experts say this and then I'm like with one like they keep talking but one little piece of <laughs> information clicks it in and I'm like okay that right because of this thread and like you know and it can be very deep and often it's very slow too like the these top you know Nakamura, I think, on his stream plays Blitz mainly, right? And goes woof, 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 and Puzzle Rush and so on. And those are very quick things things happening right away. But in uh, in a tournament setting, you know, 
people people think like Seth Manfield tanks for a long time. Yeah. You can spend see someone spend half an hour yeah. before one move gets one. made, and that's just one person making a move. And the other person's like, "Whoa, I need to spend thirty minutes thinking about that because <laughs> you know they spent thirty minutes. It's probably sound and like." So then you basically an hour later, two pieces have moved, and it's like. How is somebody actually on Twitch like, you know, oh, you know, you probably watched seven ads in that period of time or something. <laughs> so I, yeah, reminds me of that episode we did where you talked about you playing this old guy and you would make a move, walk around the room or something while he thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My, my favorite thing in chess tournaments was when you were played against a smoker. Because in, in Magic Tournament, you obviously just stay there and you play the whole time. But in Chess Tournament, if it's not your move, you can get up from the table, walk around, go wherever, right? You can't take out your phone and look up the thing or or look in a chess book. And But you could walk around and buy go buy a coffee, have a drink, walk, go to the bathroom, you know, go out to lunch if you want, you know? Like, you, there's all sorts of things. So usually at these tournaments, the kids are were a lot faster than the adults in playing, so they would often just be walking around sometimes you know in between basically I'd make my move and go and chat with other kids while like we're waiting for our adult opponents to play or just go and watch their board or something you know you watch your friends games and stuff so that's kind of kind of cool like uh, there's also the you know the feature matches basically that have the front and you can go and watch that but yeah with smokers you can you can tell like they they you I would like wait at the board come back to the board and they finally make their move and then, you know, they wait for me a little bit. And I just wait, you know, and I'm thinking about the move. And they're, like, start to move up and, like, you know, grab their cigarettes and, like, they're about to head out. And then I just make my move and go and, like, you know, they, they feel they feel like the, the need for their nicotine. And, and they just have to, like, move. And at some point they screw up, you know. You get the, the mind games, the mind games, KYT. But, yeah, certainly a lot of old opponents, like, I would use, like, 25 minutes on my clock to their hour and a half or something. And I'd just be crushing them. I, I just, it, it's, it's just weird that, like, it's, like, well, it's not weird now that you t- say it, but it's, like, the oldest game, well, one of the oldest games, it's the one we started with, and now they're, they're only getting into streaming now, so we can't really see what they would be trying to do um, to, to increase viewers if they wanted to do that, and it's a weird thing where it's, like, chess is not, like, owned by all these different companies that are hosting chess tournaments, and, uh what they would like if they would get celebrity in some sort of thing like what I watch remember distinctively watching now was they they did some sort of it wasn't a tournament just just to showcase this they they had famous poker players and paired with a, a good ch- a decent chess master or, or grandmaster and they would have the poker players play against each other and the grandmaster would just have you seen this with name no. just call the name of a piece so Daniel Negreanu was one of the players playing against uh, I believe it was Liv Bury, another uh, known ch- uh, poker, poker player and all they said was like Rook and that's all they would say and then the player would have to like Figure make it out, yeah. <laughs> but like was that compelling view I'm not, I'm not sure it did that well but you know, that's how they try to integrate some sort of celebrity to to increase like they all want to increase viewership or, or get players to, to play their game so it's interesting to see how, how every company is trying to do that yeah though if you think about it chess is certainly a game that has survived a long time without you know any real viewership success like people still follow it because you know it's clearly on the eSport versus iSport you know spectrum it's an eSport you know it's not about watching the influencers it's about watching like the, the grandmasters in this case right 
like way more people are interested in watching Magnus Carlsen play in the finals of World Championship than watching like you know I don't know maybe probably if they have like Justin Bieber versus Tom Cruise play a game of chess you get a bunch of viewers but <laughs> like that's not the real draw for chess and it's also interesting because in chess like the gap between an amateur and a pro is so high in that you know if if you and I played and like compared to like you to the world champion I'm not that much better than you but like you still would have no chance to ever win right <laughs> okay, I just wanted you to admit that no, but, no. <laughs> but like you know so let, let's say they bring someone famous who's like a, a who enjoys playing chess or streams chess right it's and they play against an, an actual grandmaster. It's not really entertaining viewing because they just get completely beaten and they just don't have a chance. So I'm. So the thing is, like, I guess you, you've thought of this already. Whereas, like, just another example, just to solidify the point, like, I want to watch Federer against Nadal, not necessarily because of who they are, but because it's going to be a sick tennis match be, between two of the very best of all time. And. Uh, Magnus Carlsen's uh, against someone that your example like, I want to see the match itself how it will play out but maybe but then those things you know for sure or ch- that you're watching for the game itself and maybe just that we can't make magic at the highest level watchable I guess is the issue but that, why is that the case when you know a game like chess is watchable it's it, I think I think a lot of it is just the, the framing like and the fact that the skill gap in Magic is a lot smaller than in chess. So, you know, the, the Roger Federer could definitely lose, to, you know, to you in Magic, right? Like the equivalent. Right, right, right. Let's yeah. say LSV versus you in Magic. What do you think your percentage chance is? It's above 30%, right? Maybe it's, it's, maybe it's below 40. I don't know. It's in, somewhere in the 30 to 45% range is where I, what I would give you. Yeah, yeah. So that you know that in some ways makes things more exciting because it means anybody can win but on the other hand yeah, that's a good point you're, it, the difference yeah. between watching the very top players and watching entertaining players who are below them isn't necessarily that high and since it's such a complex game as well it's like the the chess games where I I can watch and not know what's going on there's the equivalent magic games where someone of like my skill level in magic of my skill level in chess and magic, basically, could watch Game of Magic and not really understand what's going on. They could think that there's, like, a play to make, but they couldn't... They could, somebody could make a play and they wouldn't understand it. And we don't actually have commentators who are at the level of the chess commentators who can actually explain why things happened. A lot more of the magic commentary is focused on bringing in, you know, the newer viewers as well, the people just making it somewhat understandable, not delving deep into high-level strategy. Because also be, that's one advantage of chess being slow is that you actually have the time to go deep into the strategy you can analyze something for 10 minutes because it's 20 minutes before the next person makes their move whereas in magic you know you you have maybe like 30 to seconds to a minute to explain what happened there and that's not enough time to make most people understand what's going on in, in like a really cool weird play situation where 20 people in the world would make that play and be able to win with it or whatever. So two things. I think they, they need like some tool that allows them to do like sports where quickly, maybe even after the game was like, you know when they sketch like basketball where they sketch with uh, 
uh, like they draw on the TV basically with like a white marker. And they show like, oh, this guy goes here and this guy goes uh, here. Like in Magic, it would be like, okay, on this turn, instead of tapping this, if you tap this, or like this would happen, or blah, 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 they'd have to do something like that. And, and now... Oh, it's huge. Like, I mean, the other thing is that a game like, like chess or poker, right? Both of those, there's a lot of computers that can calculate all the, the, the correct stuff to help the commentators along. In poker, you know, you can see the, the, the two hands and one person it shows is 75% to win. The other person is, you know, 15% to win, odds of split pot 10%. And it just shows that on screen. It's very easy. You can, I can turn it in, I don't, I, I don't play very much poker, you know, I've I played a while before, I play sometimes casually, and just, you know, go, and I understand it right away. I don't have to do the math in my head. I don't have to, I don't even have to understand how to do the math. I can just see, look, this person's going to win 75% of the time. Let's see how the other person plays his hand and so on. In chess, you know, the, the, the grandmaster is doing the an analysis. If they're analyzing Carlson's game, they're also not necessarily at the level to understand why he's making those moves. But when they have a computer in front of them and they can do the computer analysis and they can see the moves the computer's making back and forth, that, that pushes them maybe even above Carlson's level if they're a grandmaster. And we have nothing like that in, in Magic. It's... You know, it's so fast, and we have no no computers to really help us figure out what what should be done. You know, some, there's something saying that you know it's not like magic is not actually solvable it's in by by our current levels of AI, basically, because there's just too many possibilities. Yeah, the, the second thing was. Um... I want to say that I didn't I didn't think about this until you said it, like the skill gap thing. Where so that is an argument for streamers because right. you say elite play is more you're more replaceable for for an equal sort of quality. Um, I wouldn't say quality of play, but but you're getting what I'm trying to say. Like yeah, well, like frankly, I think this is maybe something that is being banked on is the fact that like let's say. Instead of having me, Paulo, Huey, Luis, or whatever playing in an event, uh, instead you have four very popular streamers who are, you know, significantly worse. And Wizards just says these are like the four best. They're fantastic, incredible players. What percentage of people watching would no, 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 can tell, right? And even if they're, they're even if you have a tournament where those people are playing against. The, you know, Huey, myself, Luis, and Paulo, the, they can still win some of the time, you know, and that's not necessarily visible to everybody why they lost because most of the people watching are below the level of these streamers, you know, even if from like a pro perspective you could say that somebody was bad, they, they're, they're, they're not bad, you know, they're still significantly above average, it's just, you know, like three or four standard deviations instead of like six or seven or whatever. Right, right, right. right. So, it's uh, it's not the same thing as me and you playing at Wimbledon or something. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> like playing each other at Wimbledon. You know, I don't know. Like, that's the thing at, at Wimbledon. Like, like, this is elite play. <laughs> right. Like at Wimbledon, if if they have me versus Federer, you know, they can tell obviously that I'm I'm horrible. But if it's me versus you and like they're saying you you're the best. And like I'm battling you, and oh, it's a close. He must be really good too. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> On the other hand, I think people have a much easier grasp of how to play tennis well versus right. versus how to play magic or chess well, right? 
So that's elite play. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's like me. Oh, another fouled serve. Another fouled serve. Okay, back to you. Like, oh, he hit it back once. Oh, and he ran and he missed it. You know, like they can they can tell. I'm in. Okay, great discussion. If you say so yourself, yeah. I, if I say so myself, and uh, if people like D. Rude, who's also uh, passionate about the topic, want to want to reply to us, they, you can do so on Twitter or any other platform. D. Rude's great. Like, I, I did I tell you the story of when I first met D. Rude? Yeah. <laughs> it was just a, it was just like at a Canadian Nationals, so I think in 2010, 2011. He just like he hadn't really come back, but he was just playing a little bit. I think he just came to show show up because some old friends were there and somebody introduced me to him and I'm like oh you're you're the last Canadian to win a pro tour right and I'm like and I'm like joke, joking and I'm like I'm the next Canadian to win a pro tour and then I was and then I was so I don't know if he even remembers that because I was just back then I was just some kid you know but it's uh it's cool it's cool to see people like that also just come back to magic like him and Gabe Sang you know they're like legends from back in the day and now they've come back and are they going to get pushed out by these new changes I don't know for them they're still playing competitively but it's not not professional level competitive like they did back in the day and I think he was just yeah. happy being the um, I wouldn't say the KYT of Harry T because he, he plays multiple roles he's basically like KYT Bosu like he's playing a butt he's, he's, he's the next John Stern basically kind of the next grandfather of Canadian Magic <laughs> he's wearing all these different the hats great, the, the good uncle of Canadian Magic and he's, he's pushing people like I guess Detective Dollywall Corporal <laughs> wearing wearing various hats he's pushing pushing the the sheriff hat onto Sheriff Dollywall yeah to try to carry uh, um but okay yeah I, I, I talked to Mark Blewett that I would address this uh, just my take on the, the the sideboard guy meme, I, I think it's been coming and going, and I just want to give my quick take on audio, and I think it's probably something that that you agree with. There's nothing uh, wrong with using a sideboard guide. Yeah. yeah. So it came to me when I think Jerry T was the first person who wrote it that I remember reading, saying like he probably wasn't the first to ever write it, but he would always put like caveat, like don't follow this, be more fluid. Uh, this is just a starting point, and I think he would do that multiple times. And you know, we talk about like teaching people to fish and stuff like that. And uh, and I think that's why. But people want it. But I always think back about the other games. Like it would be the same thing as um, people just learning chess openings, or people in poker just learning memorizing the pre-flop charts. Like all of these things will give you better results to cap your ceiling in the sense like in Magic people are like oh man you should play more to, to be more nuanced learn the nuances of all the matches but I know some of these guys like a lot of these uh, working dads or working moms um, they a lot of them like oh I just I, a local MCQ they'll be like oh I just picked up this deck just played it at one FNM like they don't have that time, and even if they did have the time to learn the nuances of the matchup, the format will have rotated by then for these people. <laughs> so I think for these people specifically, it depends what you want to get out of the game. If you want the best chance at winning the next MCQ, it's going to, and you don't have that much time, pick a deck, have a cyborg guy, that's, that's fine with me. So that's my take. 
So, yeah, I mean, you said something very interesting with your parallel to in chess learning the openings. Like, when I would learn openings in chess, right, a beginner, you, you first of all, you learn good opening principles. That's kind of like understanding roughly how to sideboard in general, right? Like, in chess, it's, you know, push your pawns, develop this, develop your pieces, fight over the center, right? Pretty, pretty simple stuff. And then the next level is you learn these openings. And you don't learn every possible counter to every move, right? You learn the main line, so you know, like... There's like two moves every time that they're going to do that, you know, with 95% of the time, and then 5% of the time, they're, they're often not going to know what to do because they're making a mistake, and that's, you don't necessarily know what to do against their mistake, right? And so, but you just learn the 95% things, and you get, you get pretty far knowing that. The other stuff you have to actually think about when they do it, if you don't have that prep ahead of time. Uh, sideboard guide feels a lot like that to me, in that you get the 95%, you know. Most of the time, you're going to sideboard how the guide says, and you're going to—it's a huge improvement just knowing like take out the bad cards, bring yeah. in the good cards, you know, or like bring in cheap removal against this deck. Like these are you know important things to know, but there's also like when do you pivot? You know, one classic example is that I've noticed that playing against modern red and standard people playing these control-ish decks like Esper would board out way too many of their like card advantage spells and then they just get grinded out by Frenzy or whatever you know because they, they flood out in the mid game because they don't have their anti-flood cards anymore instead they're just all cheap cards you know if you have Moment of Craving a whole bunch of Moment of Cravings are only good when they're buying you time to cast a fairy not when you know your opponent's playing Frenzy and then Rekindling Phoenix and then Chandra and stuff, you know, or they kill your Teferi and then you just draw more Moment of Cravings. Things can go downhill really quickly there, so you have to find the balance there. Um, but in terms of like my thoughts on it, I think that a lot of the people who were speaking out against sideboard guides are, even if they're not actually pros, they're effectively on the pro level of the spectrum, where they're so entrenched competitively that they've played so much, and they're working on like that last 5%, right? Like, for me as a pro, and talking with other pros, when we ever, we already know the top, the first 95%, and it's like automatic, it's kind of in, in the background. The like interesting plays we talk about are like, you know, probably the top 1% hardest plays. And like, you know, top level competitive players have that 5%. So for, for us, you're giving up 1% or a 5% edge is a huge edge. But if you're just, you know, like a, a dad who's, who's working and then have to go to play a tournament on the, on the weekend, take your 95%. What are you doing? Why would you, why would you not take that? No, sure, you're not going to have 100%, but like how many people really are? Some of the people who are trying to get those last few percent are going to screw it up and have 90% instead. And, you know, take, take your leg up. Like if you have extra time, try with the sideboard plan, try and understand why things happen. Like why do you board this card in in this matchup? It seems like it'd be too slow. Well, actually, they're boarding in these slower cards that you, so the matchup slows down after board, which is actually how a lot of matchups go in, in general in Magic, because you both bring in cards to interact with the other person's game plan. You, you both kind of tend to become more reactive, and more exchanges happen, so the games go longer for that reason. But that's, you know... That's like a one of the harder things I think in sideboarding is figuring out when you should bring in like a slower card that in game one would be too slow. It would actually be bad if it was in your deck in game one. But po the way the post board games play out makes it different. And I think basically, you know, taking advantage of the 
let's say, 40 hours that a content producer put into making this this deck inside Borgard and their experiences with it are valuable, even if it's not 40 hours from them and it's just like five hours and a lot of their intuition, that's still a good place to start. Like, if, if I've never played a matchup and I give you a rough sideboarding guide, I think that's, you know, a lot better than if you usually would start by yourself, right? Uh, just because I have way more magic experience and I know the format more. So, I think I don't generally follow sideboard guides. Like, certainly when I have one, I don't follow it to the letter. Uh, but I think they're a very good place to start, and I think there's you certainly shouldn't be shamed for, for using one, you know? That's, that's kind of a very elitist idea of people working for those last few percent. I just happen to be one of those people working for those last few percent, so while if I'm playing a deck for the first time, I'll often use a guide. I feel like usually even, you know, even if they put a thousand hours into it, I'll put in my, my, my just instinct is sometimes I'll trust it instead of that. So, so many thoughts to bounce off of from everything you've said. Reminds me of uh, what's interesting, like let's say White Weenie, is you're playing a control deck and even though the game like you don't really want the games to go slower right. because it just plays into their zone you just want to be a little bit <laughs> slow right there. a little bit yeah a little bit slower just a bit yeah. just a touch because they're gonna if they're attacking your one or two drops you want to have the, the three mana planeswalker the four mana planeswalker just a, just yeah, a exactly. little bit slower no, and it slower. applies to limited too like one big thing people when they have their aggro decks in limited right they want their two drops three drops four drops the idea of playing like a six drop in their aggro deck no I'm, the deck games are going to be too, too well the thing is magic doesn't work like that things don't always go up according to plan sometimes you flood out and like if you have like one six drop in your deck it gives you a way to come back in these games where like your early threats are dealt with and then you can actually like fight them even even though their deck is in, generally better for that you know they might have used all the removal spells on your earlier things and your big thing can stick constructed similar to that right you like you want these these power these cards are way more power when you're spending three and four mana for them than than your one drops right so post board your opponent has way better tools to deal with like your speedy one drop starts like let's say they board and cry the carnarium versus your all one drops well if you board out some of your one drops for a three drop their deck is now trying to fight what you were doing before and you're going a little bit bigger than yes. than their answers so it's not only going a little bit bigger than the threats, right? But going a little bit bigger than the answers is important too. Like, you know, I know you were talking to me about mono red. You were, you didn't like playing the Legion War Boss on the side because of Cry the Carnarium, and you were even considering playing Headless Brute, just a three-three menace, basically three instead, because it lined up better against their the, their answers. And I think, while well, I think that exact scenario, you know, like. Headless Brute is not good enough, but the thinking is very good. It's like, that's what you want to be doing. That's how you want to be thinking about sideboarding. You always need to be thinking about their post-board deck configuration versus your post-board deck configuration. And, of course, it, it can keep going. Like, once the format's adjusted and, like, Mono Red Sideboard has all these Headless Brutes, well, probably Cry the Carnarium's not the card you want in your sideboard anymore. And then once they don't have Cry the Carnarium anymore, you want to go back to Legion War Boss. And kind of that's kind of how these formats self-balance. The metagame in, in, in a larger sense does that too, of like Mono Red's good against deck X, deck X is good against deck Y, deck Y is good against Mono Red, and then 
as more de decks, decks become more popular, then the other deck becomes more popular, which kills off its prey and then allows more of the pre its predator to exist, and it keeps rotating around like that. And we're seeing that a lot in this standard format, where things are moving really quickly. One personal example of, of fluid sideboarding is um, I didn't know how to sideboard White Weenie against Gruel. And um, initially, I just jammed all the baffling ends, but then I realized I, I really looked at the deck list that people were playing. And well, we were giving deck lists at the uh, Arena Super Cup, realizing that the deck lists that were being net decked, they were net decking Gabriel uh, Laporte's list from SCG Invitational, was they were foregoing the Legion War Blast. A lot of the turn two, turn three for a turn four heavy build with Riptide, Ripjaw Raptor. Phoenix, um, Nullhide Ferox, and Nullhide Ferox, yeah. like a lot of four drops, and then you're like, and okay. then and then Hellkites or whatever on five, and yeah. So the the, the only real thing that Baffling and hits that you you care that much about is uh, the Gruel Spellbreaker, right? Right, the Spellbreaker. So I think even as White Weenie, you don't actually care that much about Legion Warboss because it's not effective, that effective attacking you or blocking. You care much more about good blockers, right? You want to play threats, get their blockers out of the way, and attack them. So. Like there's some scenarios where you you might have won it against uh, Grove Chamber or Guardian, but yeah, but I don't know. I, I didn't. At some point, I didn't feel like I needed four. I, I felt like the the real cards I needed to deal with were uh, like six sixes or uh, four fives. Uh, yeah, needed. Once again, what we're talking about with slowing down your deck post board, because if you're boarding out, what are you boarding out for these baffling ends? You're boarding out creatures, right? You're boarding out threats. So your deck is actually becoming slower. So you have to worry that, hey, is it possible that the reason White Wing is good against Gruul is that in game one, you just smash them really quickly. You're, you get under them, right? And you can remove like the one big thing or just attack through it because you have so many weenies. But if you are cutting your weenies for these reactive cards and you're just trading one for one a bunch, well, at some point, they'll play one individual threat that'll outclass you. So that's not actually how you want to approach the matchup. You want to be about speed. You want to make sure that you do go under them. And so I think going up to, like, four baffle again would be a big mistake. Having, like, you know, eight or ten removal spells, whatever you have, is not how you want to approach things. It's different if you can transform your deck into, into like more of a mid-range deck and actually go bigger than them, but I think against Gruul that's not really possible. So, whereas against Mono Red, that is something you can kind of do. So having a bunch of removal spells makes sense. Same against like Mono Blue. If you can answer their key threats, kind of the rest of your stuff goes away. It's identifying whether you or your opponent has inevitability in the matchup. And so, if, if you're the one with inevitability, you want to bring in cards that make the game slow down. And if they're the one with inevitability, you don't want to do that. So often, not sideboarding at all is better than making yourself slower and more reactive. Even if you think, like, oh, this card's the way I answer this thing. You just want to... That's not the way you win games. I, I might call this... Instead of calling this section high-level strategy, I could call it Masterclass. I'm sorry. <laughs> what about, what about Grandmaster Class? Grandmaster Class. I, I think... To finish on this, I think the reason some content creators get annoyed is because that's the first reply they get when they're like write a piece or turn a report that they're really proud of, and some guys like, but what about a cyborg guide? Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. People, I mean, that's, that's that's what people want, right? That that's the easiest, like, you know, the easiest fish to to take away from an article. That's it goes back to when we were talking about content creation. A huge amount of articles now are just deckless plus sideboard guide. 
and because that's the norm, that's what people grow to expect, and that's the you know that is the easiest thing to digest. If you want to be a good Magic player, that's what you should be consuming all the time. If you want to be a great Magic player, you have to go a little deeper, and. I think that certainly people can be frustrated, especially as a content producer, where you get a lot of nonsense comments. Uh, sometimes people even have a sideboard guide in their article, and, and like three of the comments are like, "What's well, a sideboard guide?" <laughs> or like, you know, if you're an SCG Premium article writer, and the deck list is in like the free part portion of the article, and then the sideboard guide's not. It's like, "Hey, can you give a sideboard guide for this?" It's like, yeah, it's in the article. You just have to actually, you know, pay the money. Oh, um, and so. I can certainly understand the frustration, especially if somebody says, like, sideboarding this deck is really weird and, like, there's no... I, I like, never board the same way twice. People are like, sideboard guy? It's like, did you read the article? You know? <laughs> I think... I think both require effort. And I don't know what, what the, the public actually feel about people um, selling sideboard guys. Like, it's part of... It's been part of the game now, the the, the arena deck cast, Patreon. It's been part of my first strike uh, podcast. So, so my view of it, like I think you wanna you wanna see more content that that teach people how to fish, um, but but you also acknowledge the value of these cyber guys for for yeah, the, of course. The Look, and, I I I'm right now. Okay, if I wanted to go and eat something, I wouldn't go and hop in a boat and take my, my fishing line and wait there and go and fish even if I knew how I don't know how I go to a restaurant and I order a nice a nice piece of salmon sashimi or whatever and instead of going and trying to find my own salmon because I don't have time for that crap you know like, I'm just it just happens that like you know in the magic world I'm a fisherman so and a lot of people are aspiring fishermen you know or fisher woman fisher people I don't know what the actual term is supposed to be but it's the perfect time stamp boy Alex doesn't have time to fish I'm too busy writing cyborg guys <laughs> um, I think I think um, some people could just phone this part in but for people who dedicate a thousand hours playing a game uh, it does take effort to write out a cyborg guys and even though there are articles, whether it's TCG, CFB, or SCG, that, that provide them for, in their free article, I think some of these content producers really do it seriously and, and put it a part of their Patreon, whatever. And I know it takes time. I can't just like I can't just make a white weenie one. Like like there's there was an article that covered four matchups, but if someone asked me to to cover you know, the other maybe five decks that they wanted yeah, to you know. you have no idea. I'm, I have no idea. I'd have to sit down and actually theorize, like, spend actual time. And I think that time, like, for these other people, like, it's worth money. Like, it's... it's And I love people uh, being able to monetize their work in a world where, you know, a lot of... I, I don't know who, who... Like, Adam Staborski used to, or still does run gathering magic and at some point he felt bad that the standard was that you, we were only paying article writers store credit yeah um, it's bad and I think we want to move towards a world where everyone's paid like money for, for, for things that people actually want like you know if I need to prepare for an upcoming standard tournament and I'm playing Esper Hero and the best Esper Hero player has a sideboard guide I'm willing to pay X amount of money to get his thoughts 
BBD, if you're listening right now, KYT's he's a customer for you. But no, so like that's. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I've uh, two things. Like one, first of all, that Magic is a game. It's a fun game, but there are people who do this for their living, and you know, they need they should be paid for their work, even if it's something that like other people would would do for free to grind out. It's like that's just you know you're not grinding it out. Someone else is doing it for you, and I don't. I don't see anything wrong with wanting to get paid for your work. In fact, I think it's wrong to not get paid for your work. And I think it's kind of sad when a website pays someone an exposure or a $20 store credit or whatever, you know. Or uh, or let's say a podcast that's prominent, you know, pays people, I don't know, 20 <laughs> store credit or something to be on it, you know. Like, let's say there's a, a podcast about flying or something, right? Anyways, uh, <laughs> the second thing is that I think the cyborg guide comes down to one of the big tensions in competitive magic, which is that you have you often come to a choice of whether you want to maximize your chances in this particular tournament or maximize your chances in magic in general. So like a, a very simple example is you've prepared for this tournament, you've done a bunch of drafts, and you've never drafted blue-red spells, let's say. And then you open your pack and there's a great card for blue-red spells and there's an okay card for one of the archetypes that you've played with a ton and are comfortable with. Which one do you take? The one I'm comfortable with. Right. So, like, that's reasonable because at that point you, you want to maximize your chances in the tournament. But it's like, if you're if you want to be able to increase your range in general and do better in the next tournament yeah. and so on, you want to be able to be able to draft that blue-red spells deck. You want to have experience with it. And realistically, you don't have enough time to have done that beforehand, so you have to make that call there. And that's kind of what choosing a sideboard guide is like that. It's like, look, I'm going to just take the sideboard guide. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to do fine, well at this tournament. I'm going to try and maximize my chances here where this is one of the best ways to use my time right now versus not using a sideboard guide you probably tank your chances in that tournament a significant amount but you learn something along the way now the, the way i like to do things is i like to you know tournaments like fnm or tournaments where there's low stakes let's say arena super cup where you you know you, you don't really care that much about the outcome you can use those as your practice to to like grind to to learn these things you know to experiment and then when it comes time for the the mythic championship though and you know just t do the thing that you're comfortable with that you, you feel you're going to do well but as a pro you know you if you want to be a pro you're going to have to expand and to, to be able to play more archetypes you know Craig Wesco is famous for just playing white weenie uh, have you seen Craig Wesco on the mythic championship tour recently no because white weenie hasn't been good lately and you know you need to have, he's got more range than, than you know this it's again it's a narrative that people like to, to follow people love narratives but he <laughs> even he has taken it to heart you know and so like it's just it's you just need to have range like I for a long time I would play basically almost all just control decks and then I branched out into aggro control as well you know <laughs> but no I, now I play anything whatever I think is the best deck I'll play it and I'll feel comfortable with it but there's a long time where I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable with it. Like, um, Pro Tour Milwaukee it was. I was I played Mono Red, I guess, Team or Battle Rage, uh, Become Immense Red. And I wasn't very comfortable playing it, but I decided that I, like, needed to push myself. And I expected not to do that well in the tournament because it wasn't a deck I had that much experience with. But I actually did pretty well, and... 
enjoyed the experience too. And since then I played a reasonable amount more aggro and I feel very comfortable registering an aggro deck now. And there was a time where mid-range was also something I was not that comfortable with. Now, sign me up, I'll grind it out, you know. But there's nothing wrong with having something you're more comfortable with, but I think it is very valuable to be able to widen your range if you really actually want to get to the top. On the other hand, for being an influencer and a streamer, maybe maybe actually you want to just focus on one thing and have a niche, you know. You want to be the control guy or control girl or, you know, combo person, whatever. Right, right. Like, Matt Nass is known for being the, the combo guy. That's that's his niche. And he's probably a lot more famous because of that than he would be if he just played all sorts of decks, no matter how good they, you know, instead of just playing combo whenever... Okay, so I think I'm going to wrap up soon. I wanted to comment on on the state of... Like, when when we started, or when I started, it's like, there, were, there was BrainBurst.com, and I think SCG was also premium, was all around. Like, the concept was pay a few dollars a month type thing for, for premium, or these premium articles, and... Um, Versus, well, I understand why, why poker would be more expensive because you're making money. It's like um, you're directly learning something that would increase uh, perhaps your, your hourly rate. So you'd have websites with like $50 USD per month to, to access all their videos. And, but like chess, you know, I was willing to buy a $30 How to Reassess Your Chess fourth edition um, <laughs> to improve my chess and th- that didn't necessarily mean monetary gains back at the end of the day I guess I'm saying like I think with BrainBurst and SCG I remember people not really wanting to pay and I think maybe it was the demographic because a lot of us were just kids without like maybe without a job or with a minimal wage job so we didn't really feel great about paying for, for articles from people we didn't really know but I do want to get to a point where um, it's not just like Patrick Trapin with Next Level Magic uh, trying to sell a book to, to a place where I think it's because we've started from that like $2 a month uh, that the concept of people working on, on a guide and trying to sell it for 10, 10 bucks is so alien to, to some people I do want to and, and that's why people are able to just offer store credit because the, the bar has been set so low exactly that it's it's hard I know I know the pro players you know they're at least at the highest level I've I've heard the numbers over the years I guess they're, they're compensated fairly fairly uh, but you know some people are just writing for like like you said they'd be willing to write for ten dollars store credit but that's because um, that's what the bar is that's what a lot of these smaller sites are offering or have right. been or that's have that's been. what we're used to that's what people are used to paying and what you know people are used to being paid and if you know if that's like the standard it's going to just keep keep on being the standard but you have to you have to move it to the point where you there's something you, more is expected right like you expect to get money for your for your work and like just like you know mostly we expect to get articles for free other than SCG premium Every, basically most articles are free so when somebody has to pay for something they balk at it a bit right uh, and it's understandable you know it's like it's like the the app the, the app store on, on, on the iPhone right right like, like if, a, if an app's free oh, I'll download it if an app's 99 cents I'm like oh, I don't know is it worth it 99 cents makes no difference to my life I, I you know if I <laughs> 
if I lost five dollars, I wouldn't I wouldn't notice right out of my pocket. But like, I like, oh, I don't know, you know, there's a barrier there, and it's just it's just the fact that it costs something versus nothing, and the fact that like the the default is free, right? And in fact, I'd rather spend like five dollars on an app than get a free one with tons of ads that I have to like pay monthly for or something, right? Um, or just get a crappier quality stuff. So there's there's a balance. It's just about what the default is. And if we're moving towards a spot where the default is people get paid for their work, that's a good good spot to be. You know, even if I'm not the one producing this content that I'm getting paid for, I still think other people should be. But the parallels though between like the poker sites and magic is a little different because the poker sites they're the only product that they're selling you is this article, so you're you're paying for that. But on the magic sites, they're selling they sell cards almost exclusively. Content websites in Magic are also Magic stores where they sell singles. Right, right, right. So when you when you're buying singles, that's actually the main way that these sites make money. Correct. Not from Google Ads, not from SU Premium isn't even the biggest thing. They make much more money from you reading that premium article and deciding to to buy to buy something for hydrate races. I wonder if even they you know the money they make from premium is how how important it is, I don't know, but you know, it seems like the branding of this being premium like it might be even more valuable just like the, the people view it as like something worthwhile it's exclusive and so when you read that article you're more likely to buy the deck because you've already put money in and so on it, it kind of pre-selects for more engaged people so it's like you know on my house have there's a sign outside that says protected by ADT alarm systems and I wonder if like you know if you is it worth is it worth even having the alarm we could just have the sign how much how much of the work does the sign outside of your house saying that you have an alarm system do compared to the actual alarm system right right beware of dog do you need do you actually, do you need, actually a dog? need a dog no right <laughs> like I, at one point I was joking with my family like we should have get like a recording of like a tiger in the wild and just have it play as it like you know at, when the door opens so people are like oh crap you know and just <laughs> No, but really, I mean, because anyone who's like an actual professional house thief, they're not going to be really swayed. If they're trying to get a diamond or something, right, they're going to break into your house whether or not you have some generic alarm system or not. But someone who's an amateur thief, they're not going to, they're just going to find easier pickings, right? They're not going to gamble on the fact that you just have a sign and don't have the real alarm. Who does that? It's like when I went to play Dragonstorm deck at a, at a random tournament with no dragons in my deck. I just play Dragonstorm for four storms, show them I had no dragons, and they just scoop. Because what kind of maniac doesn't put dragons in their deck? That's why they call me insane. But <laughs> Eventually I lost playing for top eight because someone asked to see the dragons and I had to scoop. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I just want... Yeah, to, to, to move to, towards that world, um, and that's it. I mean, um, I mean, it, it should make sense that we get closer to that as magic gets bigger. But anyways, we. Uh, um, it's weird because as magic gets bigger, there's more and more demand, so the top people become more and more valuable. But there's also a greater and greater supply as right. more and more people want to break into the content world, want to get famous, especially if you know influencer magic is what's important rather than. You know, sports magic, and 
you know, exposure becomes a lot more valuable if being have being running twenty store dollar store credit articles for a website can somehow lead towards you getting an invite to one of these prestigious high paying tournaments. Good point. Then you get paid in a different way. So good point. It's it's interesting. We're gonna see how, how things move forward, but in general I think, you know, your team, you're putting in a lot of effort to create the sideboard guide that's like, you know, you're sharing your tech with the world. I've shared my tech with the world. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get paid to do it, but it is definitely a downside. The upside is, you know, you get a lot of exposure. You get, you get fame. And the downside is you decrease your chances of winning at the actual tournaments. And again, as we talked about, as the scale tips towards not caring about your results of the tournament and caring more about your fame, maybe, maybe more of this stuff will be free. Who knows? Because... It's effectively paid by wizards giving invites to the more famous prestigious people. Uh, the the modal grinder Tangrams. I actually asked him. I was like, because he was free. He was he was the first one to have two trophies in the latest modal queue with with his uh, bat manipulation deck, and he just instantly shared it in in the uh, arena deckcast Discord. I'm like, hey, that's pretty cool of you to to be willing to do that. And then he acknowledged it. He like said, yeah, because. You know, gaining clout for it is way more important now than, than just like hiding this deck or whatever. Yeah, especially when you're talking about playing MTGO leagues. If you're if you're talking about playing Mythic Championships, that's the point where you know 100k is a nice payout if right, you're broken, right? right? right, right, right. Just, but but like still, you know, your EV even if you actually broke it is still not like first place. There's just so much variance in Magic, but it's. It's all it's it's another equation that you have to do. Whereas before, you know, before the MPL, as as a as a pro, our equation was always hide everything. It was all, and in some ways, I guess it's a better world when other people have access to our stuff ahead of time. Uh, one last thing, we, uh, someone someone who posted our podcast on Reddit but got deleted because he probably spammed it too much, but. I, I said like I would I would thank anyone that spread the word in some amount of way. I said a random follower, but anyway, he he wanted to know, um, I, and I don't want to stretch this topic, so I'm going to make it quick. He, he wanted to know if you wrote a I think if you wrote articles or a book, what type of articles you would write, and I'm going to make it easy. Would it be something like basically our sideboarding discussion, uh, high level, higher level, somewhat? Ways. I mean, yeah, I think I. I wrote down some list of things. Whoa. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily want to share all of them because then somebody might just steal my. Okay, share a few, and we'll end the show. <laughs> no, I don't have them. Don't have them right, written down here. Well, we'll see. I think the one that I remember is a definitive article on how to attack and block. Because I don't think there's actually. I don't think that actually exists. I think that there's a lot to go over there, and a, and a way to kind of have an actual thought process because people often learn how to attack and block through just like sheer number of repetitions they eventually get into enough combat scenarios that they recognize patterns but how do you shortcut that how do you actually set up a mental framework of how do you think about attacking and blocking and figure out the optimal attacks the optimal blocks it's it's a it would be a multi-part article i think because or a very long one because there's a lot to a lot to go over but like when i when i train people when like I, you know, as as coaching, I try and I think what's really valuable is having just changing the way people think about magic, the way you approach 
like, look, it's your turn. You have to make a play. What do you think about to make decide your play? And that that thought pattern, I think, is is really important because a lot of times people just make plays because they played the game. You know, when you start playing Magic, it's just for fun. You're just making plays because they're cool things. You have a spell to cast, you'll cast it. You have a land to play, you'll play it. You, you can attack, and you know your creatures. You're not smaller than their creature. You'll attack, but you don't think about you know holding that land against discard, saving that removal spell for a bigger creature, not attacking your four four under the three three and two two. You know, you talked about that earlier yeah. right, in a cast where you do that all the time. And how do you get to the, the point, like, develop a framework in your mind that, like, a checklist that you just go through and knowing where to start and what to think about I think is really important. Just like people have difficulty finding where their mistakes are and so and how do you do that? Well, if you understand what you're supposed to be thinking about things, then you can, then you can identify answers for every question that you're asking and then there's, you can you can ask other people what their thoughts are about each of those individual questions, rather than the play at large, and find out at which one your thinking is flawed. Because it doesn't matter if your play comes out right or wrong at the end. What matters is your thinking is correct. And if your thinking is correct on every stage, you'll get the right play. But it's like partial marks on a math test. If you show your work, or if you just go write the answer down, if you write the answer down and it's wrong, you get nothing, right? But if you show your work and you oh you just made an addition error at this stage. You can figure out, first of all, where you've screwed up. The teacher knows where you screwed up. And it's a lot easier to fix at the end. Also, you'll probably get 9 out of 10 or something for your, instead of 0. So I think that's 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 an example of a, an article I would write. Um, another example of an article I would write, Mono Blue and how to side... No, but... <laughs> Esper Control and the sideboard guide included... <laughs> no, no, it's Seven just... sideboarding mistakes people make with gruel. <laughs> Number one may surprise you. No, there has to be like, there has to be like, they, they can give you five dollars extra for the sideboard guide. So it's like, come. Yeah, yeah part four. part one uh, says part two sideboard guide to to follow if my Patreon receives. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, I'm. I, I think that paying for sideboard guides is fine, but I don't know how much I, how I feel about the like. Here's most of my article. Here's the, the last bit. Here's the last bit. Five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. Uh, let us know what you guys think, and of course, if you want Alex to eventually write these articles, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it might it might happen at some point. I don't know. It might might never happen though. Visit. Visit insanemtg.com. <laughs> insanemtg.com. Your number one stop for this podcast and a link to my stream. I think that's all you put up there, right, QIT? I yeah. Didn't, I didn't have nothing to do with making that. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's just all you. It's all for now. Um, Insane with a Y. <laughs> oh, yeah, your dad. Your dad's like, hey, I don't know what created a site, but... It's misspelled. <laughs> no, that's just how Alex likes to spell it. All right. Uh, catch you all next time, and then feel free to talk to me on Twitter at KYT Magic and at Insane Hey. Yeah, we might do an episode earlier next week because uh, heading off to Vegas, hopefully, to hoist a trophy. 
hopefully I'll uh, I'll make enough money at the tournament to cover all my gambling losses. <laughs> that, that's the goal. That's craps, the man. Too much craps. All right. Bye, everyone. Peace. Peace.